Anyways, uh, today we're starting a new a new book. We're starting the book of Shemos. Now you're aware of that that we have five books. How do we know that we have five books? Just to throw out this question, we talk about five books. Why not seven books? I mean, who 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 determined these? Yeah, you want to say? How do we know that there's five books? No, I mean, if you're scratching, you have to know. I think you're raising your hand. Okay, but how do we? How do we? I mean. How do we get five books? Just, just I wanted to, because we're starting today the second book. I mean, what, 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 what does the word chumash mean? Anybody know chumash? A fifth. Chomesh, a chomesh is a fifth, a one fifth of the five books. But who said that there's five books? How do we know that there's five books? Do we have five different scrolls? Of the Torah, is there five scrolls or there's just one scroll? Is there right? a division, like a space in There's between? a space in between. Good. Very good. So there is a four-line space. Uh, basically, all the divisions that we have, like a Pasuk, or uh, we don't have that in the Torah. The Torah, the, just the lines flow. The, the Torah does have what is called, called parshiot, what is called like paragraphs. Uh, paragraph means that if there's a few spaces in between the, Latin, the word and the next word, and there's two shapes, there's a psukha and a stuma, there are various kinds of ways to make those separation paragraphs, but other than that, you know, everything just flows, you know, the psukhim, they just flow word after word, there's no stops in there, and there's no vowels, or there's no uh, tamim, there's no cantillations, so there's nothing in there, and the Torah just reads, but you're right, there are five spaces, there are five spaces, Matter of fact, there's only four spaces, really, because between five, you know, you have four spaces, because between Bereshit and Shemot, between Shemot and Vayikra, between Vayikra and Midbar, between Midbar and Dvarim, it's uh, five, four spaces. Four lines in between, those are the lines. Okay. So today we started to learn a new book. We started the book of Shemot, and we are learning the first section. We are learning the first section of the of the of the second book of Shemot. And also as would always it always happens that the the first sedra is always called by the name of the whole book. So the first sedra in the book of Bereshit is called Bereshit. The first sedra in the book of Shemot is called Shemot. The first sedra in the book of Vayikra is called Vayikra. It has the same name. So it's almost confusing. So it's the book of Shemot and it's the Sedra of Shemot, because that's the first Sedra, the name is Shemot. Now most of the time we assume the reason why we call it by this name is because that's the opening, some of the opening words of the Parsha, but a lot of times we discuss to show that there is more than just a coincidence opening words, it really has to do with the content, but that's not going to be the discussion today. Today what I want to discuss, discuss a little bit is over here, we know that the Jewish people have been enslaved in Egypt, and they've made them to work very hard. There were terrible decrees. Paro was uh, hurting the Jewish people, especially we find uh, against the Jewish children. There was a lot of pain, and there was the children were thrown into the river, and 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 and, and Paro was bathing in their blood. It says it was it was a lot of uh, especially the, the the children suffered a lot. I mean that was. Uh, uh, a way that um, almost we find in historically also that the the enemies of the Jewish people when they wanted to cause trouble for the Jewish people they knew the older people they didn't care so much they were trying to sort of stop the next generation they wanted to sort of figure out a way to 
get rid of the Jewish people by not allowing for this to continue. And uh, that's why actually our response has always been, and our emphasis has always been an education of the children, the next generation, to, to make sure that they do continue, that they do uh, uh, hold on to the Torah. We know when Hashem gave the Torah, it was the children that guaranteed for us, because Hashem wants us to preserve and to make sure that we will continue to study the Torah for all generations. But in any event, uh, after all these Torahs, and after all these hardships, and after... Uh, and then we, we, we talk about Moshe Rabbeinu, which very briefly, this is the, the first part that we're not going to study now. Moshe Rabbeinu was uh, someone who took, who took, he took a stand. He saw things happening, he took a stand. He didn't just uh, stand by and watch and, and allow for things to happen. But he spoke up, he took action. And even at the, a very uh, a price, a personal uh, endangerment for himself, First, it was the Egyptian that was beating up on a Jewish man. So he went and he uh, and he killed the Egyptian. It was dangerous to do that. Uh, as we see later on, Pharaoh actually wanted to kill him for that. And then the next time, the second thing what he did was he saw two Jewish people quarreling with him. One was raising the hand. And they weren't the most distinguished of the people. They were actually Dasan Vaviram who were always getting into trouble and they were always... Uh, a mess, you know, they, 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 they started up with Korach over there and with the Manna, Rashi says, they, they were always throughout the Chumash, we find them always there instigating, making trouble. And yet, and the verse calls them, you know, their friend there, yet Moshe Rabbeinu sees them fighting, he takes a stand and he gets involved. He doesn't just go by. And finally, when the daughters of Midian, uh, when they were taking care of the of the flocks, flock of the the sheep and the watering, and the uh, other uh, shepherds were chasing them away, they were uh, causing them problems. Moshe Rabbeinu stuck up; he helped them and he. So we see, the Torah gives us a little bit of an introduction with these stories. We can see that Moshe Rabbeinu is somebody who got involved. If he saw injustice, if he saw things that needed. His attention, he, he got involved, and even if he meant to uh, pay a price for it. Perhaps that's what the Torah is telling us about all this, to tell us why Moshe Rabbeinu, who... Now, of course, there's a lot of Medrash, and there's a lot of uh, Talmud, there's other commentaries who explain Moshe Rabbeinu's... But we're talking about just in the very simple text, you see, why is the Torah telling us about all these stories? But the Torah is trying to give us a good sense of who Moshe Rabbeinu was. And yet we see, as we're going to be reading, that Moshe Rabbeinu, um, he didn't want to uh, undertake the responsibility of taking the Jews out. He didn't feel worthy or he didn't feel uh, capable. He didn't think that, you know, this should happen. Unlike, I mean, unlike some leaders, which are, like I like to say, they run for office. They don't even walk for office, which means they but the, the problem, most of them are actually not fit to be in the, to office because had they been the right people, they wouldn't be running for it. They would just, you know, they would take an awesome responsibility. They would realize that being a leader is not uh, uh, just an honor, but it's, a priv- it's not a privilege, it's a responsibility. And it's something that's required. And people just, um, you know, uh, run and run for, self, for selfish reasons, for self-exaggeration, for... 
becoming popular or knowing whatever the power uh, might you know uh, honor or whatever it is involves but that's not real leaders so real leaders we learn from Moshe Rabbeinu he actually was uh, rejecting God himself was had to beg with him he was pleading with him but here I wanted to learn a, 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 a few verses and the discussion I wanted to this this discuss over here where God finally says to Moshe Rabbeinu he says you know I've listened and I've heard and I've, you know, I'm going to take action. I want to send you and you're going to take them out of Egypt. God says to Moshe, you're going to be, finally I hear that. And what the main discussion that I want to discuss today about with some other uh, incidental uh, topics here is uh, when Moshe Rabbeinu is talking to God, he says to God, the Jewish people are going to tell me, um, what's his name? What do I tell them? Well, strange question. What's his name? I mean, what does it mean, what's his name? And, 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 and don't they know who God is? Why is it important to know the name? Uh, uh, we don't find that the Jews asked him the name later on. So what, what's this thing? What's this thing about the name? He was asking, what's your, what's your name? What's God's name? What does it mean, what's your name? Uh, and, 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 and how is this even an issue over here? Why is this coming, this whole story? And the more perplexing thing is, if you look in the verses, and this is what I'm going to need some help, you don't see any response to that really. And you know, the question is not clear. What is, what is God's name? Did God tell him his name? Is he answering him? Is he not answering him? What what's going on over here? So this is going to be some some of part of the, the discussion, and um, we'll see an idea that the Rebbe uh, suggests over here, which is a very also has a very powerful uh, lesson and. Um, um, but let's 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 learn the side. Let's do what we're going to what we usually do. So we will start on the this on the second sheet, okay? And uh, we'll start on verse seven. Now, is, is it disrespectful on Moshe's side to have this sort of conversation with God? Like in general, he had this friendly conversation. This always was talking to God like they were friends, you know? Like not at first, I don't think. Well, he says, "What's the name?" I should tell the people, like. <laughs> it seems to be like this strange uh, relationship. Well, um, but doesn't Hashem give Moses a different name than He gave His ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? Uh, later on, we're going to read. That's you. You're talking about the next week's portion. One of the complaints that Hashem is saying to Good, no, but Hashem is saying to Moshe that uh, they have never asked me for the name, and you asked me the name. But that, we'll, we'll get into that a little bit later, yes, but um, the actual question is, what does it mean over there, the name as well? Uh, what does it mean that he got a different name? But let's, we'll leave that from where we get to. But let's read a little bit inside, and let's see what the text, how the text reads, and let's see what happens, okay? So, I want to start, I mean, I, because in all the thing, I took out one verse over here, but we should have brought, put it in. Uh, I have reading from 7, it goes through. So let's just read the, the verses, and, and let's do uh, verse 7. We'll start around the table. For where do we start? We'll start maybe with, with you, we'll start, just to read. Uh, you can do the Hebrew and English, just the English, or whatever, whatever you feel more comfortable. Okay? I have heard their cry because of their, because of their slave drivers, for I know their pains. 
Okay, so when you read just this verse, what does it mean? I have surely seen, and I've heard their cry. What does it mean that Hashem heard their cry, he sees their pains? So you do, do the Rashi, so Rashi explains here, I just brought down the Rashi here, for I knew their pains. This is similar, you want to continue? This is similar to, and God knew. This is to say that I set my heart to contemplate and to know their pains, and I have not hidden my eyes, neither will I block my ears from their cry. Okay, I, I wanted you to read out because this is going to be important for me for later on. But basically, it's not just Hashem saying, I'm seeing it, or I've heard it. It means I'm actually going to take action. I'm going to do something about what I heard. Okay, Heidi, next. I have descended to rescue them from the hands of the Egyptians and to bring them up from the land to a good and spacious land, to a land formed with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hedites, the Amorites, the... Parisites. I was going to look in the Hebrew to see how to say yeah. it. Yeah. The Hebrews and the Jebusites. No, okay, so Hashem is saying that He's going to protect them. Heidi, 9. And now, behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression that the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now come, and I will send you to Pharaoh, and take my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. This is 10. 11. You're, you're, no, the second page. We'll start with the second page. Um, I guess I didn't follow it. <laughs> so now come. Oh, yeah. But um, Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should take the children of Israel out of Egypt? And Moses said to God, Behold, I come to the children of Israel, and I say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they say to me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? Okay, so now the only thing is, he says, I'm going to come to them. They're going to say to him, What is his name? What should I say to them? So here are the questions that I put down. Why will the Jews all of a sudden ask what his name is? I mean, well, why are they asking now of his name? And did they not already know? what his name is. I mean, didn't they know from all the generations before? We don't find the Jews asking what Hashem's name is. When, when Moshe comes to the Jewish people later on, it's not recorded that the Jews said to him, what's his name? It doesn't say. So Moshe Rabbeinu says they're going to say to him, what's his name? But we don't see it later on that they're asking what's his name. Well, one could say, well, Moshe Rabbeinu was mistaken. He thought they are going to say that. But the Torah records it as they're going to say it, and then we don't even find them saying it over there later on. So what, what's going on over here? Okay. Then the question is, what's the next question? What is Hashem's name? I mean, they say, what is his name? What are we going to say? So anybody know what is Hashem's name? Okay. Okay. Now, 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 is Eye Hashem's name? Why am I asking Eye Hashem's name? Because let's see in the next verse... And then again, what is Hashem's name? So let's see verse 14. So continue with verse 14. God said to Moses, Eyeh asher, Eyeh, I will be what I will be. And he said, So shall you say to the children of Israel, Eyeh, I will be, has sent me to you. Hold on. So what, now, now this passage is really confusing. What is, it, what, is Hashem saying his name is Eyeh? Or he's telling them, what is he telling them? Eyeh asher, Eyeh, I will be what I will be. What what? What is Hashem's name? What is Hashem's answer? It's not confined to uh, I'm 
today this. It's it's it, it's kind of it seems to me that Hashem transcends time and space. So the answer is sort of cryptic because Hashem knows what will happen. Hashem knows what has happened. Hashem knows what is happening. It's Moshe who doesn't know what will happen and needs to hear this will be what will be. I will be what I will be. And this is how you describe me. The idea that you're saying is actually brought down when Moshe Rabbeinu was asking the angel when he was battling, um, Yaakov, I mean, when he was battling with the angel over there, he also asked him uh, what, you, what, your, what your name is. And he told him, Lamazah, what are you asking me for my name? Hupeli. It's, I'm not, I don't have a name pending on my mission. That's what I'm called. When, what do I do? And so over there we have this whole discussion about the name and about not having a fixed, a, a defined name. But in our case, I just want to, whatever the interpretation is, so when you're you're basically saying that Hashem didn't tell him his name. He just the answer. What you're saying is Hashem's answer to him is God says to Moses, hey, yeah, hey, I'll be what I will be." So He's not giving him the answer. Is that correct? I mean, is that that the way we're interpreting him? Giving Moshe as much information as Moshe needs, but it's it it, it leaves room for. It's, I guess okay. it's like. It's like the white between the black letters. We need room for, but we don't know. Okay. All right. Only give them what they're really asking. But I thought we're really not supposed to say Hashem's name. Okay. So is okay. Wait a minute. All right. So you know that's actually very very appropriate. Let's bring in the next verse, Janice. We'll bring in the next verse, and we'll see about it. Yeah. I thought a lot about this over the years, and it just came to me that maybe. God was saying, I will be what I will be to you. Just like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob each had their own personal relationship with Hashem, with each one of the Jewish people, God will be what he will be to as far as what they perceive him to be. But the, the question really is, Moshe Rabbeinu wasn't asking Hashem, what is your name? He said, the Jews are going to say to me, what is his name? What should I tell them? That's what it is. When you say is, I will be what I need to be, what the mission will be at that moment. For that person. For that person. And not in here, but it's for the Jewish people. When I take them and I need to give affliction to Makot, I'll be that kind. When I have to take the Jews that are split to see, I'll use that. I will be what I need to be at the moment when I'm dealing with it. Okay, so let's, let's just, I just want to, for the purpose of clarity. So this is actually what we're saying is Hashem is sort of avoiding the answer. He's not a, he asked Hashem, what's your name? Hashem is saying, I'm not telling you my name. No, I'm telling you. Basically, he's saying? No, my name transcends everything. It can be multiple to whatever needs to be. That's like more of an attribute of yeah, God okay. than the name of God, right? Okay, so let's, but let's go. Okay, all right. So let's, before we do the Rashi, let's do one more verse, okay? And let's see, maybe this is the final verse of this discussion. Let's see, maybe in the next verse, it'll throw a little light, shed some light over here on this discussion over here. What says the next verse? Okay. Uh, okay. Uh, okay, everybody said a verse, so uh, no, one I like said. what everybody 
No, no, it doesn't matter. There's, really, there's no, like, there's no such thing as right and wrong. There's various different ways to 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 try to interpret it, and the fact that we're struggling to understand it—that's studying Torah. That's the that's a mitzvah to try to understand what the verse is saying. Okay, let's do the next verse. Okay, so uh, Ravi, you started. So why don't you finish the next words? Fifteen. So the next, say verse 15, before we'll do the big Rashi. We'll do the Rashi and in a minute. God said further to Moshe, So shall you say to the children of Israel, The Lord God of your forefathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever. Oh, 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 oh. what does it say? This is my name? What is my, okay. And, and this is? And this is how I should be mentioned in every generation. So what is that God? What is, so what is this verse saying? What does it mean? This is my name. This is my name. Which is this? What is the? What, which name is he talking about? Aya is my name, or what? The Lord God. The Lord God. What is it? What is the Hebrew? What is it? And here, here we see. What is Vayomer Odelikim? What does the verse start? And God said further. It means, why did God have to go say further? Why couldn't it? Why couldn't it just continue? Uh, so say to the Bnei Israel, right? It started off first. It says, so you shall say to the children of Israel, and then it starts over again. God says, Moses, further, so say to the children of Israel. What is it saying a second time? So say. We just finished saying so. Should just start it off. So say the children of Israel, Ehyesh Lachani, Ehyesh sent me to you. And then it says, uh, then it should say, Hashem, the God of your father, sent me, this is my name forever. What, what's going on over here? The verses, when you try to read them, it's a little bit not clear exactly what is the meaning. What is the simple, very simple meaning over here? Uh, let's, let's, let's do the Rashi for a minute, on the, the long Rashi on the page 14, okay? So let, let we can do this together, okay? You know what he does, well, especially when you're reading in Hebrew. He says, So shall you say to the Jewish people, So Ehye is his name? Has sent me to you. Yeah. Who's Ehye? Okay, who's Ehye? So that's the Shem's name? Yeah, I will okay. be. Okay. I will be. Ehye, we have a new name. A new name for Hashem, Ehye. But as you said also, it's a message, it's to be concealed. Yeah, don't say that. Okay, so the word Ehya is now is to be concealed. Ehya no. has sent me to you. To be concealed. Yeah. Okay, but so... Maybe it's okay to say, I will be, yeah. not what I... Ehya is not one of the seven names. The reason I'm saying it is because it's not really one of the seven names of Hashem that you can't mention. Okay? Because uh, we, we don't assume, because the real interpretation is, is Ehya is not Hashem's name. There are, when I say real interpretation, there are commentators that believe that. But we're talking about Rashi. We're talking about the simple meaning. Ehye is not a name. Ehye is not a name. That's, that wasn't named. Well, I'm going to give the interpretation. But before I give the interpretation, I want to just see what Rashi says. And then we'll see how it fits in. Let's do the big Rashi on, the, on 14. Ehye, Asher, Ehye, I will be what I will be. Now, it also, it's, it's funny. I mean, it's funny. It's strange. At first, Hashem says to Moshe, and then he changes it, and he says, "Say to the Israel, Ayah sent me to you." Why doesn't he say, Why, why, why? All of a sudden, he, first he says, Asher, I will be what I will be." And then he asks, "Who sent me?" He says, "Ayah, 
Only one ayah. Why not the ayah should ayah lachani? Why it will be able to be? That Rashi addresses over here. Rashi says like this: I will be with them in this predicament. What I will be, ayah means I will be. Actually, I I looked in the language of the Talmud, which is this comes from the Talmud in the tractate Brachot. In the language of the Talmud, there is a um, uh, a little bit of a different word. It's it's not I will be. Ehyeh is atid, is the future. I will be. Mm-hmm. But here, God was essentially saying, I was, I am with them. Not the future, but I am with them. He uses a language. So in the Talmud, it actually, it, the word in the Pasuk is Ehyeh, which is atid, which is future. But the Talmud switches it to present. I am with them now, and I will be with them in the future. So even though in the wording in the pasuk, in the verse, it's, I will be, but it really means, I am with them now, and I will be with them in the future. So Hashem was saying, but even though he uses the Lashon of Atid, meaning, in the, will be with them, meaning for the coming, because the problem wasn't over yet. They were still in Egypt, and the problems were there. So Hashem said, I will be with them in this predicament, what I shall be with them in their subjugation by other kingdoms. Now, so that means, basically, what we see from this Rashi so far is that Eyeh is not really a name. Hashem is not saying Eyeh, Asher Eyeh. Hashem is just saying to them, I am with you in this predicament. I will be with you in the future. So he, Moses, said before him, O Lord of the universe, why should I mention to them another trouble? <laughs> Say, I'll be with them in the future. They have enough problems with this one. Why should I say? Just say, I'll be with them. And just, you know, I'll be with you right now. Why tell them about other problems? He said to him, Hashem says to Moshe, you have spoken well. So shall you say. So the verse changes now. Say, now we don't have a record of Moshe saying to Hashem, but Hashem first says, but then Hashem changes it. And he says to Moshe, he says, uh, you have spoken well. So shall you say, Etc. Not that Moses, God forbid, so this is outsmarted God, this is addressing what you were asking, but he did not understand what God meant, because originally when God said, I will be what I will be, he told this to Moshe alone, and he did not mean that he should tell it to Israel. That is the meaning of you have spoken well, for that was my original intention, that you should not tell such things to the children of Israel only, so shall you say to the children of Israel, Eye, I will be, has sent me. From Tractate Brachot, this appears to be the correct interpretation. Give this matter your deliberation. Invitation to Rashi. These okay. These appear to be no indication of the interpretation in tractate brachas. They know actually whatever he says here. So here, you know, the, the, the problem they're having over here, with why the commentary is coming up over here, is uh, hello, hello. I'm in the middle of a class. You'll have to call me later. Yeah, here's one. This is on me. So, okay, so in any, in any event, so what do we, uh, 
the, the problem they're addressing over here, what they're deliberating is, it seems like Moshe Rabbeinu changed God's mind. You know, God had it said one way, and because Moshe Rabbeinu, sort of, how could that possibly be? But that's not really, we find this kind of a discussion. It doesn't really have to mean, and, and they're trying to attribute it to the Talmud, and they're saying there's no such a Talmud, and it's not in the Talmud over there. So, I don't know, some commentary, but uh, it's not such a problem, because a lot of times, God, we find... Uh, this kind of discussion between God, God was writing one way, Moshe Rabbeinu said to Hashem, no, God's saying, well, I'm going to prolong my anger, uh, for whom? So Moshe, God said, well, uh, Hashem says, for the evil and for the righteous. So Moshe says, no, 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 only for the, only for the righteous, not for the evil. And God says, no, 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 you'll need it one day. So these kinds of discussions took place. It's not a problem because it's not a matter of, Hashem sort of prompted Moshe Rabbeinu to bring out Moshe Rabbeinu's love for the Jewish people to say to Hashem, to bring out these, these are all actually recorded to us in the Torah for us to have a, 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 an understanding of Moshe Rabbeinu's greatness, how much he cared about the Jewish people. Further than that, I mean, this is not a problem about Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe Rabbeinu took the two the tablets which God gave him and he broke them. He didn't ask permission for that. He had no right to do that. And yet, because of his love for the Jewish people, he did it. So it's not really such a strong question to ask in the simple text. How would Moshe Rabbeinu go and contradict Hashem? Because we're not talking in this very simple meaning, contradicting Hashem. We're talking about taking on the cause of the Jewish people. Hashem wants him to be their leader. And actually, this demonstrates more than anything else that he's even going to have like the chutzpah, so to speak, to go and talk to Hashem like that because he uh, cares about his... Uh, obligation and what Hashem has put him in charge of the, his charges to take care of the Jewish people. So therefore, I don't see that as a big question. But that's not the discussion right now. Right now, the discussion is um, what is so Hashem is basically saying to him, "I will be what I will be." Hashem is saying, "I with them." So what is Hashem's answer to the question whether it's I'll be with them in this problem or not with this problem? What is Hashem's Answer and what, why, as we had the other question, is why is there Hashem coming back and saying something new? So, Rebbe has a very novel interpretation over here, and which everything seems to work out beautifully according to that interpretation. Uh, the way the Rebbe says, and the whole verse, everything makes sense, and even in the literal, in the literal sense. So, as the Rebbe explains it, um, here God says to Moshe Rabbeinu. What is, how does God go to Moshe Rabbeinu? God says to Moshe Rabbeinu, He says, I've seen the pain of the Jewish people and I bother them and I'm going to take action. So, but that's a little bit uh, surprising. Well, if God cares about the Jewish people and God is upset with the way they're being treated by the Egyptians and all the tsurists that the Jewish people are having, so then the question is, really, why is God allowed that? No, I mean, why is he... 10 years. Yeah, why is he... Why is he... 210 years, they've been murdering the children, they've been causing them pain, they've been enslaved them, causing a free people to, 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 to force them to work, build them pisomeramses, all these terrible things that they're doing, they work them. So if you care, if you're a caring God, if you're somebody who's a compassionate God, somebody who cares... Uh, why do you allow this? Why does the compassion of God, how could Hashem, who cares, how could he allow such, such devastation, such sorry, such troubles? How could he allow that? He was waiting for Moses to come along. Okay. So, 
In, in this context, Moshe Rabbeinu's question to Hashem was not a, a question, what is your name? Which needs an answer, sort of, almost from Hashem. He, he blames the Jews, but it's really Moshe screaming to Hashem. He's saying to Hashem, they're going to ask me what kind of name? You're, you're a merciful. How could you allow this? He says, what could I tell them? How could I explain to them? How could I explain to them that God has seen your pain? If you're saying that it's a removed God, God doesn't care. He's given the world away to the ways of nature so that the world, the 70 wolves, can do whatever they want to the one sheep, to the Jewish people. We can understand that. Okay, that makes sense. But now you're telling me, no, no, that Hashem cares and Hashem looks after them and He realizes and He's going to do it. So Moshe Rabbeinu says to Hashem, they're going to ask me, and it's, it's his, in other way, it's his way of asking Hashem. It's his way of crying out to Hashem and saying, but how do I explain this? How could you explain this, this kind of a behavior? How could you explain this when it doesn't make any sense to tell them that you're compassionate, that you care about them? And that's why it's not even important that we find that question asked later, because this wasn't really a question that was going to be asked by the Jewish people. It's not a question, what was God's name? Because the Jewish people knew God's name for many, many generations. It wasn't, it wasn't there. But the question was an outcry. Yeah, go ahead. Could it be, as he said, that Hashem needed a leader but Hashem also needed the people to be able to come together to listen to Moshe, to be guided out, and and that it was it was um, they needed each other. I, I it's probably a little bit of everything, but uh, I don't think in this case I don't think in this case we need reasoning. For us, it's right. it's actually important in a way we we see in. In, uh, in Moshe Rabbeinu's uh, approach to things was, in a way, it says that Hashem wanted to tell Moshe Rabbeinu, uh, when before, the parasha before, he wanted to tell him about the Sineh, about the burning bush. And it says over there that Moshe Rabbeinu was afraid, and he didn't want to look at Hashem. What does it mean he didn't want to look at Hashem? He didn't want to look at Hashem, it says, because Hashem wanted to reveal to him Later on, we learn in Kisisa, Moshe was saying to Hashem, I want to see your face. Hashem says, you can see my back, so to speak, but you can't see my face. And the Gemara says that what Hashem was saying to him, what I wanted, you didn't want. Now that you want, I don't want. And Rebbe talks to this about when, you know, the Rebbe was also very much for... Um, for people to, you know, to have children, and uh, really was uh, into very much, uh, he believed that uh, children were a blessing, he didn't believe that children were a burden or an expense or uh, something like that, and Rebbe says sometimes people come when it's too late, and they say, oh, we want children now, and Hashem says to them, what I want, at the time you didn't want, and now that you want, it's <laughs> But the point here is that the um, Moshe Rabbeinu was afraid to look at Hashem as interpreted. He didn't want to know reasons why. Hashem wanted to tell him why people are suffering, why people bad things happen to people. Well, what would it help him? So, if let's say if we can explain God's behavior, we would know why somebody gets into an accident, why somebody is is, you know, uh, has a, an autistic child, or why somebody, if we, if we can explain like things like that. So let's say we didn't know. 
Would that help us? On the contrary, we couldn't have empathy. We wouldn't know. We would, we would, we would know the ways of Hashem. Moshe Rabbeinu said, I don't want to look. I don't want to know anything. What I want, if somebody has a problem, I want to pray for them, and I want to feel for them. I want to be part of their, of their tzaris. I don't want to know reasons for Hashem. So, in this case, we don't need an answer why God did what he, want, what he did. We only are expressing here the outcry of Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe Rabbeinu is saying, Hashem, what kind of a name is it? What do I tell them? How do I explain to them? In other words, Basically, what Moshe Rabbeinu was saying, let's have an end to all the tsars already, and, and uh, let's see uh, what's going on. But there's actually two parts to God's answer, and that's why there are two separate verses over here, and God said it again, and God says again. In the first verse, actually, God does not address directly his question of what his name is literally, but the figuratively, the question was that Moshe Rabbeinu was asking, did you sort of almost neglect the Jewish people? Why are they suffering? Yeah. Did you, are you there with them? Or you just you left them out there and you know, you're somewhere else and then you're not with them. So Hashem first reassures Moshe Rabbeinu. Hashem says, I want you to know I am with them. If a Jew is in pain, if the Jewish people in Egypt I'm in pain. God is part of that pain. Now, uh, we don't understand if God is himself in this pain and God himself has the ability to take it out, to liberate both himself and the Jewish people, why doesn't he just do it instead of being there? So this verse needs a further explanation. That's why first Hashem says to Moshe Rabbeinu, I want you to know, I want to reassure you, I am with you. It's not, I am in the exile, I am in the suffering, I am part of this, I feel for you, I am with you. That's the first thing, and I want you to know I'm here with you now, I'll be in the future, and if you see troubles that are taking place in the world, don't conclude that that is because Hashem is not there. That's the wrong conclusion. I am there. Hashem says, I am with you. Now the question becomes, if you're there, why is this happening? You could say in the summer, why did all this happen in Israel? But different miracles happen, and we are saying, how much more do we have to do so Mashiach will come? How many more things, how many horrible things have to happen to us? It's the same thing. It's, it's the Chavle Mashiach. Exactly. It's, it's, survivors it's the same cur- thing. Yeah, it's current to today as it was back in Moses. Mm. Sure. That's what we're yeah, that's the message. We're going to... No, no, no. There's no sorry. That's good. Now, but here, there's still, we're missing something here. And this is what the next verse is coming sort of to... Hashem is saying, okay, but the most important thing is to know that Hashem is with us. Understand or not understand, but we know that we're not being neglected. He's not left us. Now, the next thing is, why is this happening? And here, we read the final verse. Hashem says to him, again, what does Hashem say to him? Tell the Bnei Yisrael. What does he say to them? If you read in the Hebrew, it says Hashem. It says Yud Kei Hashem Elokei Avoyseichem. 15. 15, verse 15. No, I don't think I have it. Yeah, oh, you I'll will. see it, yeah. Yeah. Hashem 
He uses, you said the Lord before, that's the name of Hashem. Yud Vavke, right? Yud Vavke. And what does Hashem say? Zeshimi. Now there's the answer to the question. You're asking me, what is his name? So Hashem says, Zeshimi. Hashem the God of Abraham, Yitzchuk, Yaakov, sent me to you. This is my name. Hashem is telling you what his name is. Not Eya. Zeshimi, Hashem The Lord, Hashem That's my name. But Hashem is explaining to him. Now, all of a sudden, we come in here. What is the meaning of Zeshmi Laulam? In the English translation, they translated, This is my name forever, and this is how I should be mentioned in every generation. Let's do the Rashi here. Let's do it together. This is my name forever. The Hebrew would mean Laulam. Laulam means forever. However, it is spelled without a vav, meaning conceal it, God's name, Halimehu, so that it should not be read as it is written. Since the vav of Laulam is missing, we are to understand it as Leolam, to conceal, meaning that the pronunciation of the way God's name is written, which means Yudke Vavke, is to be concealed. And then, and this is how I should be mentioned. He, God, taught him, Moses, how it was to be read. And so does David say, O Lord, your name is forever. O Lord, the mention of your name is for every generation. But what it really means over here what the verse is telling us over here is a very interesting. That we have the name of God, which is Yud K Vav K. That is God's name. And we know that the name of Yud K Vav K is not read out. We're not allowed to express it. We don't read it as Yeh and the He and the Vav and the He. We do not do that, right? We say Ado, we say Master, we say Ado Shem. That's what we say. We don't say the name. So this is sort of the answer that Hashem was saying. My name, my name, my name is a name of mercy, is Yudke Vavke. But the problem is my name cannot, is concealed. Which means although I'm there, but the name isn't open, it's concealed. You can't, you can't read it, you can't pronounce it. What does it mean you can't pronounce it? You can't really reach into understanding of the name. So... Therefore, it's not, as you were saying before, it's not something that I can uh, explain or give you the meaning of the events of what takes place. That's la'olam, it's hidden, that's the answer. Zeshimi, this is my name, it's la'olam, it's hidden, it's concealed, it's not something that we can understand the ways of God. So don't think so. Maybe all is lost, it's concealed, okay. God is there, it's concealed. But Hashem says no. But there is still a remembrance. Even though we can't pronounce the name of Yudke Vavke, but we can still say Adoshem, we can see, say the name of Master, because within the concealment, within the hidden, there is still a glimpse that we could appreciate, that we could see and then we merit to see 
Hashem's kindness and Hashem's goodness, even though that the main name is concealed. And this is Hashem's answer to Moshe Rabbeinu. Zesh Shmi Le'olam. This is Zichru Le'dor Vador. My Shmi, my name. Yud Kevav, could you ask me for the name? It's Le'olam. It's hidden. It's not something you can see. I'm there. My name is there. I'm with you. But I want you to know, this is Zichri. But my remembrance, it's still the Dervador. And therefore, if we read like this, it seems to answer, you know, all these questions that we had before. I just want to go through what we asked before. Uh, there was in a special occasion. It says that Hashem taught him how to how to say it, and that's the. There's the, also the longer name, not just. But we're talking about even just the name of Yud K Vav K, not the full uh, letter with all the letters, but. We're talking about even Lev Yudke Vavke. We don't pronounce it that way. The letter is K, but we don't say K. That's why we keep on saying K. K, like a Kuf. We don't say that. But when Mashiach comes, are we going to? Over there it says that just like I'm written, so I was Kshem Shani Nikto Kachani Nikr, that will be recalled at that time, yeah. Because at that point, the revelation that fits in, that's a very good point that you're making now. Because it says that um, at that point the world will come to its uh, revelation that we will see what the hidden, now it's concealed, but then it will be the um, interesting. So, that he will be recalled, read, read the same way that he is called. But, but everything seems to make uh, you know, a lot more uh, flow over here in the, in the questions that we have done. What is your name? How should I describe you to the Jews? Who are you? That, or, or not so much a question of, that needs an answer, but an outcry, basically. It's a complaint. It's a complaint in a, it's a rhetorical yeah, question. Where what? Where have you been? Yeah, where have you been, and why are you doing, doing this? Anything? Yeah, well, and how, how could you allow this, and, mm-hmm. and what's going on? And he's sort of blaming the Jews, maybe because he didn't want to <laughs> say directly to Hashem, so he's blaming the Jews in it. Yeah, go ahead. It seems like from the story of the verse that the real negotiation with God, uh, whether he's going to take the mission and start later, this was just like the introduction, even before before they got into the nitty-gritty stuff. This was just the first God meets him at the Sinai, the burning bush. He is uh, putting the sheep there. He sees this awesome uh, image of the uh, burning bush and it's not being consumed. He takes it as a message that the Jewish people, notwithstanding, they're in a thorn bush. There's a lot of thorns, there's a lot of thirst, but it's not going to be destroyed. And God appears to him and tells him, and I'm going to take it. So the first, very, this is the very first beginning of Moshe Rabbeinu's, and maybe he had that in mind. This is the first set. And later on, he starts saying, well, I'm not worthy, I'm not fitting for it, I'm the job sent with somebody else and do get, get away. This didn't, uh, at least at this point, he wasn't yet uh, 
saying no. He's just getting some information over here. He says, what do I tell? Well, maybe I don't mind. Okay, but that, that's... He's saying it's not just the job for myself. He's really coming with a tremendous pain to the Abish that is saying, like you said, where have you been? You're coming to me to tell the Yid. The Jews are going to ask, where has God been for all these years to allow... I mean, the death of the children, the bathing in the blood, the cries of the mothers, all these things. This is, it's sort of, it's a huge cry from Moshe Rabbeinu to say to Hashem, look what's happening to the people. How am I going to come comfort them? How am I going to tell them? How am I going to say, this is Hashem, where has he been? I mean, in our own lives, we see it through the Holocaust, the things, all the things that went on. The Jews had this cry out, how could... It's, it's hard to just say, okay, God, I really, you know, accept and I don't question all the difficult things you just give me. You're God, you're right, you know, I'm just, like you say, a leader doesn't do that. Okay, and that's actually, um, um, he was, that's the Jewish people, it's, 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 but that's precisely, that notwithstanding all of our bad experiences and could never blame, you know, I, I'm talking about when I was growing up, it was very close to the Holocaust. It was just after the Holocaust as I was growing up. And you would go in the street and you see Jewish people spoke very well Yiddish. They knew they were yeshiva people and they wanted nothing to do with God. And you can't blame them. I mean, what they went through their experience I mean, how could, you, how could you blame him? And actually, you stand in great awe in front of these people who their amuna did not falter, that they continued to believe. The Am Ksheirev, that's the Jewish uh, stubborn people that notwithstanding of what Hashem does or allows to do, they will still stick it out. They are not going anywhere. And the amazing thing is that this is what happened over here. The parallel is, 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 is exactly because Moshe Rabbeinu says later on, they're not going to believe me. And God says, they're going to believe you. And God actually punished him that his hand became with leprosy because he spoke bad. He said that they're not going to believe me. God says, you're speaking Russian Hara. They're going to believe you. Don't, don't think bad of them. They are going to believe you. And, so, and the verse says, when Moshe Rabbeinu came to them, they believed him. So that's the strength, and that is the, I think, the envy of all the nations of the world that the Jewish people, they can't, against defies all logic and all rationale. Why are we still there holding on and believing and continuing and raising children and bringing them into this world and teaching them Torah and doing Yiddishkeit when, you know, it seems like we've had so much problems but that starts from the Jewish people over there in Egypt they continued, they believed and that's something which is in ourselves and um, I just read this morning a letter, we read a letter from the Rebbe uh, so in one of the letters, the Rebbe uh, said, I was, this was yesterday or today I'm not even sure, I remember, but one, one thing and the Rebbe says, well he has doubts in his belief it was yesterday. So he says, yeah, we have doubts. He has doubts in his belief. And Rebbe says, no, you don't have any doubts. <laughs> he says, if you're a son of the people of Mamini, B'nai Mamini, if you're part of the Jewish people, the people believe. I mean, saying that was an interesting uh, uh, story that demonstrates the idea 
there was once a uh, chassid of the Tzemach Tzedek, uh, the third Lubavitch Rebbe, um, and the chassid uh, came in to the Rebbe, and he said to the Rebbe, I have a, a problem, I have a question, I have a question about God, I have a question in my belief. And um, he was a very articulate, he was a very smart, a very learned chassid, and, and he asked the Rebbe, and he presents this case to the Rebbe, and, and the Rebbe is sitting like this with his you know, face covered with his hands and he's thinking and thinking. He has a very strong, powerful question over there. And it seems like he stumped the Rebbe. The Rebbe doesn't have an answer. So he says, Rebbe, you also don't know the answer? <laughs> so he says, that's what I was waiting for, he says. <laughs> because you knew that somebody knows the answer. That uh, and I just wanted to bring it out from you that you know the question is that somebody knows the answer. We think at a certain level we have problems, that, you know, so there are we all have various different layers in ourselves. We have the outer layer, a little deeper, a little deeper. On the very deep level, we are all good and we all believe and we all are whole with Hashem. Sometimes some of the outer layers, you know, start you know getting uh, questions over there, get pulling away, but we. When we peel away some of those out and we bring out the, our inside, then, you know, a lot of these questions just, you know, they disappear just, uh, just by itself and everything else. So, that's the idea for today. I mean, I was actually thinking, because the Jews had been around for 210 years, the Egyptians who prayed to gods, that maybe Moshe was thinking they might want to know what's the name of this god. Because I was thinking of communist Russia, after generation after generation of being told that you're not allowed to pray, you're not allowed to believe in God, that some Jews had to relearn the concept of believing in Hashem. Yeah, but, but if you see, yeah, good, yeah that, that, that's probably true too, but if you see, look look at the verse, I mean, in the Hebrew, it's easier to follow. In the beginning it says, Elokei avo seichem, and at the end he ends, that was, and he says, Mashimoi, and then it says, Hashem It's the same, it's the same verse. Before asking him, to say, what's the name, what's to say to them? And then it says, they say, Hashem So that was the name that he was giving them. It was the God of their fathers, so they, they had a, a, an inkling, I mean, everything. And we, we, we find that a lot of... Uh, uh, the Jews were praying to Hashem. There was, even though there's a lot of evidence to that, uh, so it wasn't like they didn't know. Yeah. And what we're saying is, in a deeper level, they didn't understand. It's not didn't know, didn't understand. Had a hard time coming. I, I also like when you say to somebody, "What's your name?" And like, you see, a person's name is really a reflection of the essence of who they are. So it's sort of like when you're saying to God, "What's your name?" Like. What's your essence? Who are you? Like, where were you? Do you feel the pain of the children? It's more than just saying, okay, what's your name? You know, there's like a lot of names. It's more pinpointing is, let's get to the deep root of what kind of God, what kind of God are you? Like, are you the God that's compassionate that you can take the off? <coughs> when you're saying, when you take the layers off, it's the deep yeah. Yes. That's yeah. really problematic. And, and, and I also think that we can t- t- draw strength and courage that just like in this time, it ended well, Baruch Hashem. Eventually the Jews got out of Egypt, you know, notwithstanding, they suffered a lot, but eventually they got out of Tzor. So we should take courage also that we're, our goals will come to an end as well. 
that all of our problems, eventually, you know, we've suffered enough, and uh, uh, today's Hayom Yom, so happens to be, today's Hayom Yom, uh, the Rebbe writes over there that, um, and this was during the Holocaust, actually, and the Rebbe uh, was uh, very much trying to get the people to turn to Hashem and not to give up and to hold on. And the Rebbe says, don't believe the all the false prophets that after the war, you know, it's going to be a different story. But the Rebbe says, we have to turn to Hashem. And the Rebbe was saying that all this is, is a time to, to get closer to Hashem. And, you know, we're still waiting. I mean, the question is there. I'm not saying we have the answers to it. And uh, we're talking about now we're talking about what uh, close to 70 years now you know we're talking about uh, 70 years uh, you know since the holocaust and uh, you know we're still praying so but we will we will come to the uh, to the gula they went out of Mitzrayim. we'll come to the gula and hopefully it'll be with a day earlier through our learning through our mitzvahs and uh, Hashem will help us Somebody wrote yeah. it. Somebody wrote it. Somebody wrote it.